0: Is it possible to take a distressed bank on the ropes in Great Neck, Long Island and turn it into a digital banking powerhouse? Well, Steve Schnell was determined to find out, and boy, did he ever succeed. As the founder, CEO, and chairman of Quantic Bank, he's had an incredible journey, and he's going to trace that journey for us and talk about what's ahead here on Bankadelic. From the studios of Karma Productions Worldwide in Chicago, this is Lou Carlozo's Bankadelic. Bankadelic, the colorful side of finance where we supply expert views, riff on the news, innovate and investigate actionable insights, unscripted. Banking with a caffeine kick. I'm your host, Lou Carlozo, inviting you to sit back, grab a cuppa, kick up your feet. Here we go. Thanks again for tuning in to another episode of Bankadelic, and what a pleasure it is to have someone on the podcast who leads a company that has been behind Bankadelic from the very beginning, Steve Schnall. Steve is the founder, CEO, president, and chairman of Of Quantic Bank, we should also mention that he is a serial entrepreneur. Steve founded Quantic, the adaptive digital bank, in 2009 with a vision to transform traditional retail banking into customer-centric digital commerce. Steve has transformed the bank into a profitable, well-capitalized, philanthropic digital financial institution which does business in all 50 states. One of Schnall's greatest successes was earning Quantic, the U.S. Treasury's designation as a community development financial institution Due to its focus on lending in low income neighborhoods and to low income individuals, gig economy workers, hello, that's me, <laughs> and small business owners. I should also mention that Steve is a founding director of Urban Angels, that's a nonprofit organization that provides 100,000 meals to the homeless every year, and he serves on the board of the Arthur Project, a nonprofit redefining youth mentoring through an unprecedented type of intervention. Steve! welcome to bankadelic
1: wow thanks lou for that introduction big fan of bankadelic and really happy to be here looking forward to our chat today
0: and we're big fans of quantic and i'm a big fan of yours tell me about your background before you started quantic and why you started it
1: sure so i've been an entrepreneur my entire adult life i started a mortgage business At the age of 23, out of my apartment, one man shop and really loved the startup process, loved building a business. And over the course of 10 years with seed capital of $15,000, I built that business into a thousand person national mortgage banking company, which ultimately morphed into a mortgage REIT that I then took public. And it was a great experience, a great journey. And I really have a passion for putting people in homes, fostering home ownership and building business. So. I sold that company in 2007, just ahead of the credit crisis. Timing was good. And was quasi-retired for a little while. I got into a couple of other ventures. But along the way, when this credit crisis sort of really fully blossomed, and then new legislation came in to play, uh, specifically the Dodd-Frank legislation. It became very difficult for a lot of very credit-worthy consumers to obtain home loans. And the Dodd-Frank legislation enacted this QM, non-QM lending and ability to repay rules. And there was a huge swath of the American public that had resources, had good credit, but were unable to get financing. So I saw an opportunity to be able to do something where I can help people that were now underbanked or unbankable or unfinanceable to obtain home loans again. But I thought it made a lot more sense to do it under a bank charter as opposed to a mortgage lending operation, simply because A, it was intellectually more interesting to me. I can learn a few new things. And B, I can also build the balance sheet filled with the right type of assets comprised of the right type of borrowers and loans. And then also play a role in this community bank evolution to the digital universe. And so the two ideas of being able to help people on the lending side and be a part of this revolution that was taking place in community banking was compelling to me. So I went out shopping for a bank. Bold initiative, I know as it sounds, but what I found was a very tiny, tiny little beat up bank in Great Neck, Long Island. It was under a cease and desist order by its regulator. It had $20 million in assets, $2 million in capital, and it was losing money and about to disappear. And so for me, it was a great entree because it was something that I had the resources. I raised a little bit of money, but for the most part, self-funded. I had the resources to be able to get into the big world of banking by obtaining what essentially was just a charter and a branch. That was end of 2009, put together a group, brought over some of my former executives from my prior life and took the bank, relocated it to New York City. It was in Long Island originally, rebranded it, recapitalized it, and set off to start Quantic.
0: The thing I love hearing is that intellectual curiosity, the willingness to try something new, and the vision that you had. What a time for you to come along with that because community banks do face an existential threat right now. Describe the threat as you see it.
1: That's a great question. There's a
0: land shift
1: taking place in the country today in finance and banking. There are nearly 5,000 community banks in the United States, which comprises about 97% of all of the banks. You've got your behemoths, and then there's everyone else. And those community banks face an existential threat in that they're being quickly disintermediated by an onslaught of new technologies, new fintechs, neobanks, and others, all sort of chipping away at what the banks previously had this proprietary ownership of. And so that disintermediation really hits on all fronts. It's taking a couple of different forms. So for starters, on the lending side, when you needed a loan, you used to need to walk into your local bank branch and sit down with somebody face to face, show them your credentials, you know, wear your best suit, smile, and ask for the money and that obviously evolved over the years. But banks had still historically, even with that evolution, owned consumer and commercial lending. But I'm focused on the consumer lending for a moment. So now what you have is all these non-banks, small, and mid-sized business lenders taking over, and it's largely in the fintech universe. You have marketplace lenders, and all these other MPLs and fintechs are now starting to take away meaningful parts of what was formerly bank business. The positive of that is these fintechs are also starting to lend to consumers and small businesses that the banks hadn't historically wanted to lend to. But to the extent that they're now starting to chip away at that lending business, they're also able to offer other products and services like deposit products. And all of a sudden, the banks are finding that they need to keep up or evolve or they're
0: going to have a problem. If community banks need to adapt, how are they going to do that? And why do you think their survival is important? It's either
1: evolve or die. I mean, it's not just the lending side, it's the deposit gathering side as well. You've got neo banks that are attracting consumer deposits in droves. Amazon is starting to offer checking accounts, crypto firms are getting bank charters, there's consolidation. So if you're a community bank, it's really something that you need to look at and closely consider how does your bank fit into this whole new ecosystem? And so for starters, embracing technology is critical. But that's kind of cliche at this point, because everybody knows you need to use technology in this day and age. But how does a community bank that's historically not really transacted meaningfully online, not used AI, not used all these different sophisticated SEM and SEO strategies to drive business into the branch, how does a community bank that's accustomed to brick and mortar infrastructure, face-to-face banking, convert to this online world. And what happened with COVID also then accelerated the pace at which this change has occurred. And so now there are very few consumers that walk into a bank branch anymore, partly because of COVID, but partly because habits have changed and consumers have become increasingly more comfortable banking mobily, banking online, and opening accounts with companies that aren't actually even banks, like the neobanks of the world that are simply a mobile app. And so community banks are not only losing their lending opportunities, but they're losing their deposit gathering opportunities. So it's really a time for community banks to either get consolidated up or have an uber specialization where there's something that they do extremely well that others don't so that they can continue to persist in their current form or they've got to get on board. Enter Quantic, right? (laughs) 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 Enter is exactly right.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You guys have evolved to the point where you're able to address this existential threat to community banks. How have you done it?
1: Not easily, I can say. When I set out to get into the banking business in the first place, I was told by people that had a lot more experience than I did in banking that it was a mistake. The regulatory environment is incredibly difficult and that it's not going to be fun and it's going to be challenging. And how are you going to compete And I had this idea that that motivated me more than anything else. So when everybody said, don't do it, it inspired me to go do it. But when I started or acquired this bank, my vision was not to open branches because I thought brick and mortar branching was going to be a thing of the past and rather to build a business online. And so I didn't open branches. But at the same time, we really didn't have an online digital bank strategy. We had a website. We had a mobile app. But there wasn't really a concerted effort to take that step to really evolve. And as a result, we ended up getting into some trouble with our regulators because we didn't really build a core retail deposit franchise. As a result of that, it was do or die for us too, just like it is for a lot of others where we really had to figure out a strategy to become a true digital bank and then execute it on it and win. And so we set out to build the new version of Quantic, Quantic V2 which we call the adaptive digital bank. And it's adaptive in that on the lending side, of course, we adapt to our borrowers' unique circumstances, and it's digital because all of our deposit gathering happens online now, no more branches. But the idea for Quantic is one, you have to have some differentiator. The, the market is getting crowded. And you've got some of the bigger banks who have the financial resources to be able to make a major effective push online. And then you've got the fintechs and the neobanks. So you're going to get drowned out if you don't have something that is special and something that's differentiating and something that really speaks to customers' passions. So the first product we decided to create and launch was our Bitcoin rewards checking product. And the idea behind that was, one, we love Bitcoin. I'm a huge crypto enthusiast, I bought Bitcoin, early adopter, and I wanted to try to find a way to bring Bitcoin and banking together. And when I say early, I'm talking two years ago, is early. And we went to our regulators and we asked them how they felt about a Bitcoin rewards checking product, which we thought was an easy way to tiptoe into the crypto slash banking world. And I wouldn't say we got resistance, but we were forced to do a whole lot of work to demonstrate that this was permissible within the existing regulations, that it could be done safely and soundly, that we had the custodianship and the acquisitions and the disclosures and the infrastructure, all that right. All very heavy lift, but ultimately our goal was to be the first to market with an innovative new product that included Bitcoin. So our Bitcoin rewards checking was the first of these differentiated products that we've launched. We've got a number of others in the cooker that we're really excited about. In the fall, we're bringing out a great product. It's a wearable debit card ring, which I think is a really cool thing to do in these days of COVID where people don't want to be handing their credit card to people or touching anything. So the idea is A, have something innovative and unique that will resonate with customers, try to tap into niche markets, but also try to utilize technology to be able to extract and make really great decisions based upon the data you're able to mine from all of your customers. And so one of the other things we did that was really important was we built what's called Quantic Works, the big bank core technology providers. They're really not very nimble. They don't enable banks to adapt easily. Their APIs aren't readily accessible for integration with others. And so we built a middleware, a cloud-based middleware called Quantic Works, which extracts all of the relevant data we need from our core operating softwares, including our loan operating system and our bank core. And then in a database format, converts that data to a better manage the bank efficiently, which is obviously important from a cost perspective, but also to understand the behavior of our consumers and our customers and figure out what works and what doesn't so we could pivot properly.
0: There is a very foundational, almost old school element to Quantic that is making a huge difference. And it's that U.S. Treasury designated CDFI, which stands for Community Development Financial Institution. Why is that important to you? Why be a CDFI?
1: Great question. Being a CDFI is our special sauce. When I talk about banks needing to have differentiation or specialization in order to flourish in this new world. The CDFI is a U.S. Treasury designation granted to financial institutions, not just banks, that have as their mission lending in certain target markets. And in our case, those target markets are to low-income households or people financing real estate in low-income census tracts. And so with that as our mission, between 60 and 70% of all of the loans we make every year are to either low-income households or in low-income census tracts. So some of the loans we make are to low income and low wealth people where we may take certain people and help them become first time home buyers with an FHA loan which only requires three and a half percent down and maybe we'll give them a grant towards their closing costs to help them to achieve their goals and then there's this whole other pocket of loans we do where we focus on gig economy workers, immigrants, small business owners, people who have resources and credit but they don't necessarily fit the box of what other financial institutions are looking for. And as a CDFI, we're granted some latitude by the regulators to not have to really follow the rigid documentation guidelines that are required under Dodd-Frank, for instance, because they understand that as a CDFI, we know our customers, we know our community, and we know how to lend safely while looking at other things than just what do your tax returns say? We look at your equity contribution to the property, your savings pattern, family support, what you do for a living, your payment pattern, your credit history, and all of those things and we're able to make loans that are very profitable for the bank but also solve a problem for the customer. You know these loans aren't at the two and three percent interest rates that the 30-year fixed rate is at today. they're at slightly higher rates than that. But having those products enable us then to earn interest income that's slightly higher than market so that we can then go online and offer our deposit customers rates that are slightly higher than market. So one hand sort of washes the other and it's a win-win.
0: And speaking of win-win, I've always been a proponent of the idea that customer experience is impossible without a healthy culture and happy employees. Quantic is so different from other institutions that way. How do you feel that culture is essential to strategy transformation? And specifically, how is Quantic doing it? Well, I don't know who first said it, but I often
1: repeat the phrase culture eats strategy for breakfast. And we have four core values. One is progress, not perfection. And we talk about that every day because we're trying to do things that are really hard. We're not always gonna get where we're going, but we have to try, it's the progress that counts. We have try it on because sometimes we'll propose things that people go, no, 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 that, that doesn't make any sense. I don't agree. And I'm like, just try it on. You know, Let's try new things on, see how they feel. If we don't like it, if it doesn't fit, we move on down the road. The other one is know the goal. Every time we get caught in this sort of rabbit hole conversation where you're slipping further and further down, someone on the team will stop and say, hey, know the goal and let's start back from the goal and work from there. And then the last is say cheese. You know, just a lot of this is stressful and some of it's not fun. Let's just remember, if you see somebody getting upset or angry or stressed out, we just stop and say to somebody, say cheese. So those four core values resonate with us it's part of our language and part of our dialect and we use it every day but it's more than that we also have a very robust cadence of communication internally we have zoom company meetings regularly where we bring guest speakers we had somebody talking about goal setting last week we have zoom yoga meetings we have zoom wine and cheese pairing meetings and things we can do to keep people in front of each other to keep them engaged to let people know that we care about them. We just changed our maternity and paternity policy, where we give people three months paid leave, which we think, you know, just went a long way. But also it demonstrates to our employees that, you know, your whole life has to have balance and it's not just about work.
0: Steve, want to thank you so much for being on Bankadelic today and for being a Bankadelic supporter. You believe in us. We believe in you. Thank you. Thanks a lot, Lou. I appreciate it. Steve Schnall is the founder, CEO, president, and chairman of Quantic Bank based in New York City. You can look for Steve on LinkedIn. Bankadelic Quantic is the adaptive digital bank that offers entrepreneurs, immigrants, millennials, low-income families, seniors, and others innovative banking products and services which embrace the diversity of circumstances that exist in the lives of customers while elevating their financial strength. For more information, visit QuanticBank.com. That's Q-U-O-N-T-I-C-Bank.com. Have you thought about how you'll gain the upper hand in your search for stellar talent? BankerHire leverages a niche industry with uncommon insight. They're committed to finding you qualified commercial and community banking, lending, compliance, HR, retail, and wealth talent. BankerHire prides itself on listening and solving problems. Their approach is 100% hands-on and heads-up, giving you what you need to make smart, actionable decisions. For more information, visit bankerhire.com. Huh. Wow. Steve Schnall's story was really inspiring, and if he could start a bank, maybe I could too. But what would I call it? Hmm. How about Piggy Bank? At Piggy Bank, your deposit's safe from cyber crooks and hackers thanks to our pink porcelain firewall. Who needs interest checking? Aren't pigs interesting enough for ya? Account opening? Easy! Just bring a hammer and a bag! Loans? Don't have them yet. But you better not tell anyone because we don't like squealers. So why not step into one of our convenient branches, or as we like to call them, mud holes. Piggy bank! For a small change in banking. Piggy bank. three bullet Bullet points. points.
1: Number one neobanks are attracting consumer deposits in droves. Amazon is starting to offer checking accounts. Crypto firms are getting bank charters. There's consolidation. So if you're a community bank, it's really something that you need to look at and take very closely consider. How does your bank fit into this whole new ecosystem? Number two. It's really a time for community banks to either get consolidated up or have an Uber specialization where there's something that they do extremely well that others don't so that they can continue to persist in their current form, or they've got to get on board. Number three. You have to have some differentiator. The market is getting crowded and you've got some of the bigger banks who have the financial resources to be able to make a major effective push online. And then you've got the fintechs and the neobanks. So you're gonna get drowned out if you don't have something that is special and something that's differentiating and something that really speaks to customers' passions.
0: And now, Lose Views. Steve Schnall on our podcast today shared the fascinating story of acquiring a distressed bank under a cease and desist order in a small community in New York and how it turned into, under his direction, a digital powerhouse. How does that happen? Well, strictly not by chance, but it would also be incorrect to say that what Steve Chinall has done can't be replicated. For starters, the digital universe leaves a wide open turf of possibilities. It's not just big banks anymore with dozens and dozens and hundreds and hundreds of branches. It's anyone who can get out into the cyber universe and offer something that other banks haven't thought of yet. In the case of Quantic there's a real desire and a hope to serve underserved communities and get out there to help lower income people get a leg up it's working and we may see community redefined community can be affinity groups mobile homeowners Corvette enthusiasts. There are also underserved audiences we don't normally think of. Small business owners, perhaps the greatest of those. In the world of journalism, we have this thing we call a playbook. When an article does really well and gets a great response, we try to see, is there something here that we can replicate and learn from that will guarantee our success moving forward? Quantix writing a playbook. It would serve us all well to study it and see how we can build on the success that they've established. Thanks for tuning in to Bankadelic. We hope you join us next time and check back in the weeks ahead as we build our podcast vault. Our producer in Chicago is Jenny Elman. Thanks again to the William Mills Agency for their generous sponsorship. Thanks also to Quantic. I'm Lou Carloso. You can catch me on LinkedIn and at the coffee shop thinking about another iced mocha. Until next time... So long. Bankadelic is a production of Contrarian New Media, London, Chicago, and Austin, Texas.